We welcome you in this place, Jesus. You are worthy, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, Father. We exalt you this morning. We welcome you into this place, Jesus. We pray that this morning as we gather in your name, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there would be freedom. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, the captives would be set free. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you are going to be doing this morning in this place. And together, all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. It is so great to be with you this morning. Welcome, everyone. My name is Brent. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church. It's great to be with you. Um, I uh, just got back from vacation, and uh, we had a great time. Uh, we are we are just so thankful to be with you today and uh, back back in the house. This is Thanksgiving week, and uh, this is your courtesy uh, reminder to get the turkey out and let it start thawing. Okay, so just uh, just uh, otherwise it's going to be a KFC Thanksgiving, which is also good, but uh, but uh, just uh, it's going to be a great Thanksgiving week, um, and we have some announcements coming up that will uh, kind of touch on Thanksgiving also. On, uh, on the coming season that's after Thanksgiving that will not be mentioned yet. Um, but, uh, but we are so glad to have you with us. This is going to be a great celebration day. The second service, we're going to be dedicating some babies and children to the Lord. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to be baptizing people. And it's going to be an awesome Sunday. So make sure you're ready for that. But right now, I just want to make sure that you're aware of our Sunday link. So if you look at the seat backs in front of you, there's a QR code that's also going to be on the wall behind me and on the wall over there. If you would scan that, that's going to take you to some important things. First of all, our connection card, which we'll be doing at the end of the service. Our giving links for things like Kingdom Builders, which I'll touch on in just a moment, as well as uh, uh, important event reminders, things like that, the Bible app. Um, so uh, just follow along with us there on our Sunday links. Um, I want, right now we're going to receive our Kingdom Builders offering. And Kingdom Builders is our church's initiative to bring the good news of Jesus around our world. That not just uh, we would have this uh, hope within us. Um, if, could you switch it over to the, the welcome and announcements for me, Sandy? Um, not, we don't just carry the hope within us ourselves, but rather we can share that hope around the world with everyone that we come into contact with. And so um, one of the missionaries that we support, his name is Kenton Moody, and he's a missionary in El Salvador. And uh, he posted this this last week. We've been supporting him for close to this amount of time, I think, at least, maybe even longer. Um, he said it was 10 years ago today that he asked for prayer. They were headed uh, to, ministry of, uh, to the Ministry of Education to request permission to start their Hosanna School in January. He said, when I made my request, the lady who attended me laughed in surprise at my ignorance. She took me into the office of the director of accreditation and said, you should have applied months ago. I responded, I couldn't apply months ago as I didn't have a building then. I was just now finishing it. She says, you mean to tell me that you built a school building without having permission to start the school? His answer was a simple yes, and he explained the school is for children who couldn't afford a private education, and it would be almost free. And she took out a book and told me, look, mister, here in our country, we have rules we go by. I don't know. She, I guess in America, she figured we just are a lawless country here. So she said, I, I told her that we have a saying in the United States that for every rule, there is an exception. And I was asking for the exception. Absolutely not, she replied. The director who had said nothing up to this point said, wait a minute. I think we can work with this guy. Only two times in my 25 years here at the Ministry of Education have I ever seen anyone who wants to help others without trying to get anything in return. He looked at me and said, if you will agree to have the following list completed when we come to inspect in two to three months, I give you provisional permission to start your school. It was a miracle. And 10 years later, 
and we continue to be a model school and have provided education with excellence, biblical values, and love to thousands of children that have come through. How prayer moves the hand of God. What an amazing thing. And we've been a part of what's been going on in El Salvador through our giving to Kingdom Builders. When we give to Kingdom Builders, we support these initiatives. And uh, so many families have been forever, eternally changed by what Kenton and his team and are doing there in El Salvador. And so we've sent our own teams down to serve there in El Salvador with them. And right now, when we give to Kingdom Builders, this is going above and beyond our tithes and offerings to support uh, the kingdom of God moving forward around our world. So right now, there's a few ways you can give. You can give online at nlcchurch.com give. You can give through the giving links that, uh, that you got on the seat backs in front of you. Um, you can also give through text to give by texting the word kingdom in the body of the text, the word kingdom in the dollar amount you want to give. And you just text that to the phone number 84321. So text that in and you can do text to give very simply in that way. So thank you for giving. Let's stand together and worship as we give. We got the box right up here. You can put it in your, your, your uh, gift right in the, uh, in the envelopes in the seat backs and drop it in this box as we continue to worship together. Let's lift the name of Jesus together this morning.
so grateful this week for everything you've done in our lives. As we reflect on just this Thanksgiving season, God, we have so much to be grateful for. And we see that you've gone ahead and made a way. And God, it's so easy to look back on our lives and see that you were there at every step, God. So we trust you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. What a great song for stepping into this Thanksgiving season. We just, uh, as a team, we had our, our meeting in the uh, other room. We read from James chapter 1, and it talks about how the Father of lights, the one who speaks the stars, the most treasured of all his possessions is us, and how the greatest thing we have to give thanks for is that he gave us his life. And what a marvelous thing that we are in this room right now because of the life that was given to us. Nothing we deserved, nothing we earned, but that it was unmeritedly given to us from the love of the Father. We didn't deserve it, but He came and He gave us life. What a marvelous, wonderful thing. Praise God. Praise God. Well, a few announcements we want to make you aware of before we move forward in the service. Um, first of all, while you're defrosting your turkeys, we want you to be aware that Midweek Equip is not happening this Wednesday, okay? Because the very next day is Thanksgiving. We figure a lot of people will be traveling and or just um, getting ready for the holiday that night. So um, no midweek equip this coming Wednesday, but we will be back in full effect the following Wednesday. All right. So mark your calendars that tomorrow or not tomorrow, this Wednesday. Um, don't don't be here tomorrow either. I mean, you can hang out with us at the office. It's a lot of fun, but uh, but don't be here next Wednesday evening or this coming Wednesday evening. There won't be that service. Sandy, if you could jump to those announcements for me, it'll help cue me. So um, so then um, we have Deck the Halls coming up uh, the day after. Or no, no, sorry, Friendsgiving. That was the right one. Friendsgiving. So since this Thursday, bear with me, okay? I've got vacation brain still, I guess. I don't know. So uh, this, this coming, uh, after Thanksgiving, this coming Sunday, so that's next Sunday, is going to be Friendsgiving Sunday. Following the second service, we are going to be uh, just eating all kinds of soups and stews and chilies that you guys bring. We're going to open up the, the, uh, the fireside room in room B. We're going to have crock pots. Uh, someone said, do just a crock pot full of ribs count as a soup? Yes, they do. I'm fine with that, okay? Um, so so uh, bring, bring all that delicious food. We are going to break bread together and just enjoy each other's company next Sunday following the second service, all right? Um, then the next day, Monday, the, the 28th, we are going to be decking the halls in here. And we've got a great group of people signed up. If you forgot to sign up or you, you don't know if you can make it, it turns out you can. You don't need to sign up. You can just show up and we will put you to work, okay? You are going to be our little elf people. We're going to send around, help decorate the church. It's going to become a, a beautiful winter wonderland we're setting up in here. So that's the next Monday. That's in the evening. We're going to be watching Christmas movies, listening to Christmas music, and decorating the church for, for the holiday season. Um, speaking of winter and things like that, uh, winter camp is coming up January 27th through 29th. The reason we're giving this announcement now is you've only got two weeks left to sign up to get the great deal for uh, 50 bucks for winter camp for your students 6th through 12th grade. 50 bucks for three days. They're going to be at Washington Family Ranch. It's going to be a great time, but you got to get them signed up for that. And then we also want to let you know, this is our first Christmas announcement, the Women's Christmas Party is December 9th. We're letting you know now because it's early in December. So they're going to have an ornament exchange. Um, they're going to have a great time. So mark your calendars, ladies, for that. That's going to be at 6 o'clock, uh, 6.30? 6 o'clock 30 on December 9th. Um, so make sure you're there. You can come at 6 and be extra ready to go. So uh, if you don't trust any of my announcements, make sure you check online, okay? That's the bottom line is check, check online, all right? 
Um, well, this morning, I'm very excited and pleased to invite our speaker today. Um, it's uh, our pastor emeritus is going to be bringing the word this morning. So can we give a very, very warm welcome to Pastor Todd as he comes to bring us the word. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, thank you, son. It's uh, such a great opportunity, and, and uh, I, I know it sounds such, so much like a preacher to say, to use, you know, churchy words, but boy, Chris and I find such joy in coming and being able to speak here with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, Chris and I are Brent's parents, so um, uh, we've been ministering in Medford most weekends. Um, over the past six months, and uh, we would appreciate you praying for the church in Medford as they're seeking a full-time pastor. It's a wonderful congregation, and uh, uh, we're looking forward to God doing a great thing and bringing the, the exact right person to be the pastor there in Medford. Uh, over the past several weeks, I've been studying the conversations that Jesus had one-on-one -on -one with people. And I, I've, those, are, those are very, very powerful conversations. And those conversations were sometimes initiated by a seeking person, as we'll see today. Sometimes Jesus actually sought out a person and initiated the conversation himself. But there's one thing that's true about all these conversations, no matter how they were started, they were all confrontive. They, they, all, they all just, uh, uh, Jesus spared, spent no time at all on peripheral matters. He went right to the heart and confronted them with opportunities, with, with, uh, with changes that would, would open up their horizons and change them powerfully. And today we're going to look at one of those. And um, I want you to imagine, if you can, for a moment, that you are sitting in a chair at, like you would in this picture. You're, you're just pulled up, you have a cup of coffee, and suddenly Jesus just walks up, or maybe you walk up to him and say, do you have a moment? And you sit down, and you're going knee to knee, eye to eye with Jesus. And, he, and you realize he knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows where you are. He knows what you're thinking, what your hopes and dreams are. He knows the things that you don't want anybody to know. And he deals with all of those. And today... I'm going to pray with you. I, I, I normally do not pray at the beginning of a sermon. I figure we've been praying, we've been worshiping, we all prayed before we got to this point. But today I want to pray because I have a specific thing I want to pray for. So will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray today that the hearts of every person that hears me today, either in this room or on, uh, on the internet, would be opened to hearing the voice of Jesus, who in perfect love, and kindness, but without holding anything back, has something to say into our lives. So prepare us for this, we pray. Holy Spirit, get our hearts ready. Amen. John chapter 3, if you want to turn there, is probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, and it, without a doubt contains the most famous verse in the Bible. Used to be you saw people holding up a sign with the reference of that verse at football games all the time in the end zone. Remember them? What did it say? John 3.16. That verse and this conversation with this man that this verse occurs in 
is missing something if you don't know the backdrop of the story. Because John chapter 2 sets the stage for John chapter 3. But we never, we never think of that. We just, we just look at John chapter 3. We look at the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus and we go, there you go. But there is something vitally important here that makes this not just for a person who is hearing the gospel for the first time, but for the person who needs to examine where they are with God. So I'd like you to, to take a look with me today at John chapter 2, starting with verse 23, and here's what it says. It says, Many people saw the miraculous signs that he was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, as I studied this, I, I realized something that these people were putting their faith in Jesus because of one thing, the miracles he did. They saw him do miracles, and their faith said, I believe Jesus does miracles. I believe he makes blind people see. I believe he makes deaf people hear. I believe he makes lame people walk. I believe he makes demons come out of people. And people were seeing these things, and they placed their trust, they believed in his name. But there's an interesting thing if you look at the Greek translation of this verse, because here's what it says. The word that, you, that, that says they believed in him, and then Jesus, it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them, is the same word. So in other words, you could just as easily say, these people believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. He didn't... You see, belief means to trust. I trust you. So, so these people were, were trusting in Jesus because he did miracles, but Jesus did not believe in their belief. Their lives weren't changed by his miracles, unless you were the one who got your blind eyes opened. But everybody was coming to see the miracles. It's like going to a miracle healing service today, and we go, oh, this is amazing. These people were not transformed. Their lives weren't changed. And so Jesus, it says of Jesus, he just didn't believe in their belief. Which kind of, when I read this, and was looking at this backdrop to this story of Nicodemus, it hit me, this is a vital question for every believer today. Is my belief one that Jesus believes in? Because we're told in the scripture that it's at, at, at the judgment, there are going to be people who say, Jesus, I believed in you. I did, I know, I, I, I was out there, I was, I, was, I was involved, I was at the church, I was in the walk, I was, I was doing it. And he says to them, I never knew you. Now, knew kind of has a similar understanding of the word belief because to know Jesus and for him to know us is to experience one another. The belief that Jesus is looking for is us to have an experience in him. He's saying, I did, we didn't experience each other. So that takes us now to John chapter 3. So if you'll turn there, you'll see what I'm talking about. In the verse first, it says this. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Now get this, for no one could perform the mighty miracles you are doing, the miraculous signs you are doing, if God was not with him. 
Do you know who Nicodemus was? He's one of the people talked about in chapter 2. He was impressed with the miracles. He knew, he, 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 there was something he knew that was going on with this, with this Jesus that he comes to him at night. We don't know why he came at night. Maybe because he didn't want people to know he was following up with Jesus. After all, he was a Pharisee. He's in the ruling class. Or maybe this is the only time that he could get a spot with Jesus. Jesus was pressed for time. But here's Nicodemus in the night coming to Jesus. He's drawn by the wonder of the miracles. He's drawn by the, uh, by the spectacular things that are happening. But he, he's, he is, as we'll see in a moment, one of those believers that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to. At this point, anyway. So the central question for Nicodemus was not how are you doing this or how can you do this? The central thing that Nicodemus needed was how can I have a relationship with Jesus? Sometimes we say things, you know, we, we think we have the right question, but we don't know the right question. We don't know what we don't know. Nicodemus was coming with the idea that I want to know how you're doing this. And Jesus was coming from the perspective of, no, you need to know me. And I think it's kind of interesting. Nicodemus makes a statement. We know you're sent from God because of all these miracles you're doing. And Jesus sees it as a question. So he answers Nicodemus because it says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now the word see in that verse means to experience. No one can experience the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He's saying, Nicodemus, you need more than a head knowledge. You need an experience. You have to experience life. This is the way out of Nicodemus' level of understanding. Uh, this, this, this was mind-blowing to him. And so he responds in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. This was a statement of, it was an incredulous statement. This is an impossibility. Obviously, I can't shrink in size. You know, honey, I shrunk the kid and, uh, and, and be born again. I can't, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. So Jesus breaks this down for him. Don't you like it when Jesus just goes, okay, let's back up. Let me break it out for you. Let's put it into bite-sized pieces. In verse 5, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the Spirit. Then he explains that further. Flesh gives, flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. No one should be surprised at my saying, or you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So he says, first of all, flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh represents our human nature. I'm, I'm born with a human nature. I have it from the beginning, uh, and, and, it, and it's going to continue on in my life unless there is a rebirth. Flesh represents our efforts. In our flesh, we do our best. And when a person is born, they inherit a nature from their parents and their ancestors from, from the past. Now, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, surely understood what it meant to give his best efforts in the flesh. He, th this was, he's like, I'm dialed in on that. I am totally a man who knows how to subdue the flesh and how to, how to direct my life with, uh, through my efforts. As a Pharisee, he did not just follow the Ten Commandments. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments, but then you know, if you've read reading the Bible with us this year, that there were a lot of other regulations and rules that were given. Actually, 613 more are given in the Old Testament. So we're up to 623 uh, rules to remember. Nicodemus prided himself on, on, on following this. It was called the Mishnah, that he was, he was dialed in on that. But within each of those rules, then, there would be more rules added in order so that you could do it completely. As, as an example, uh, one of the commands is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, correct? Within that, there were 31 categories of how to keep the Sabbath holy. You see, God didn't give all those, but the, the, the Jewish people in their writing out the rules and fleshing them out added more. So you've got one commandment that had 31 more categories. Within that category, there may be thousands of rules. Thousands. And so Nicodemus was an expert in following the rules in his fleshly effort. He had high moral character, deep religious hunger, yet he was still spiritually blind and dead. And a lot of us grew up within, uh, within homes or within experiences within church or just within our own, our own efforts to be a good person, to be good people. I grew up, I was a good boy. I really was a good boy. I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life. I've never taken a drug in my life. My wife and I, when we married, we were both virgins. I was a good boy. I went to church. I didn't chew. I didn't spit. I didn't go with girls who did. You know, none of that. I was a good boy. But I still wasn't born again. And even though I was in church, there had to be a defining moment in my life where I was born again. Flesh only gives birth to flesh. The Spirit is what gives birth to the Spirit. So what happens when you're born again? Because it is a definite thing that happens. Here's a few things you may want to jot them down. Number one, when you're born again, you inherit a new nature. Your flesh nature is not a holy nature. The new nature that you receive when you're born again is a new nature. The scripture says through these, it's talking about the work of God in our lives. Through these, God has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption the world, in the world caused by evil desires. Aren't you glad that when you come to Christ, he gives you a new nature so that that old thing that you struggle with is transformed by the power of God? You got a nature from your parents, but God gives you a, a you got a new parent when you have God and you get a new nature from him. Just like a baby who's born, we just had uh, Hosanna's a new aunt. Uh, her sister just had a baby. You know what? That baby, when they're born, they didn't, they didn't. Pick that baby up out of the, you know, here comes, he's still covered with all that creamy stuff and everything that babies have got on him and everything. They didn't look at it and say, this is such a sinful baby. <laughs> no. Do you know why? Because that baby has a clean slate, right? And when you come to Christ and you're born again, you have a clean slate. Old things are passed away. Everything's new. The scripture says, praise be to the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Your hope for life is alive and living, moving forward. We're not looking back over our shoulders saying, this is all the evil I used to do. Ah, forget it. 
God forgot it, so can we. I'd like to ask you for a second. We're going to pause from what it's like to be born again here, what, what steps are. Think about what attracted you to Jesus. Jesus uh, or Nicodemus was attracted to Jesus by the miracles. Perhaps you've been attracted to Jesus by other things, maybe because you grew up in, in, a, in a culture of being attracted to Jesus like I did. Or maybe some friends invited you to learn more about Christ or somebody invited you to, to church today. Maybe you've got needs, issues, problems, hang-ups in your life. And you say, you know, I, I'm wondering if Jesus doesn't have the answer for me. Something inside of you has stirred a hunger for God. You know, some people like Jesus but don't know Jesus. Uh, kind of like some people like things on Facebook or Instagram or something. You see, you know, somebody makes a post and you, you go, oh, look, they just had a, a, a steak dinner. You know, I'm going to like that. Or they've, they've laid their Bible out and put a cup of coffee by it and taken a picture of it. You know, I'm going to like that. You know, and you like that. But we're not experiencing that with them. We just don't like Jesus. We're transformed by Jesus. So Nicodemus asked two questions. And on the surface, you think he's asking the same question again because his first question was, sure, was, surely you can't go back inside your mother's womb and be born again. He's saying this is impossible. He's incredulous with it. But his second question was totally different. In verse number five, or verse number, um, in verse number nine, I'm going to skip ahead a bit, Sandy. In verse number nine, Nicodemus asks the second question. He says, how can this be? That's a different question. The first question was actually a statement. He says, this is impossible. The second question, now he's saying, how can I have it? How can this be? What's got to happen to me so that I can experience it? And Jesus continues to explain what being born again means. The answer to how can this be is that you are filled with the breath of God. Even as when Adam was born, God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living man. And even as the dry bones of Israel and Ezekiel's prophecy or in Ezekiel's vision came together and God breathed on them and they stood up as a mighty army, the breath of God brings life. And so when, I, when you read John 3, you almost feel like Jesus is speaking in disjointed things. He's talking about being born. Now he's talking about breathing. And then pretty soon he's going to talk about some other things. But actually, they are all him just explaining what it means to be born again. And he says, when you're born again, the breath of the Spirit comes into you. Look at verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from from or where it's going so it is everyone who is born of the spirit we get the breath the wind of god into our lives and that wind does some very important things in nature wind gives you a new perspective in verse 12 jesus said i've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe then if i speak to you of heavenly things you see the flesh gives birth to flesh but when the spirit enters us when the wind of god enters us we get a new perspective we start to see things through a spiritual mindset or better yet you could say through a spiritual spirit set that i'm not understanding things like i used to that i'm, I'm understanding things with a new way the breath of god entering me and you 
changes the, our way of thinking. Wind is a transforming force. The breath of God in us transforms us. Wind upon the earth changes the landscape. Uh, one of the favorite hikes that my wife and I have ever done, we've done it twice, is outside of Las Vegas, there's a place called the Valley of Fire. And the Valley of Fire, uh, they, they get wind out there, and it's blown away everything that's on the surface, and it's revealed just the rocks. And the rocks are striped red and white and different colors, and they just soar around you, and you go through canyons. And there, there's not dust and sand in the way. It's all been removed by the wind. And the things in our lives that need to be removed, the things that cover up the, the, the things God wants to do, the, the, the landscape of our life is transformed when the breath of God begins to blow over us. And you look at people that you admire who have been walking with God for a while, and you think, how did they get to that point? Let me tell you how they did. The Holy Spirit began to breathe into their lives and began to move things out of the way and transform the landscape of their life and give them a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new perspective comes into your life when the breath of God comes over you. The breath of the Spirit takes your life in a new direction. Jesus said, the wind blows, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going, but you're moved along with it. A person of God is transported from where they are in their lives into a new direction for their lives. Oh, we need a new direction. Some of us, you're looking at your life and saying, my life is caught in such a, such a uh, what, what do you call those wheels you put a hamster in? A hamster wheel, thank you. <laughs> This is why your pastor is so used of God. He's so bright, you know. Um, uh, some of us, our lives are just in that. Just, you know, we're just, and we're not going anywhere. The wind of God puts us in a direction where we're making progress, where our lives are moving in a, in a direction that has, brings productivity and life change to us and to others. The wind of God gets us out of that cycle the spiral down and moves us into something that is totally new and different. We, we release ourselves into that wind. I, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I said this, the life of one born of the Spirit is unexplainable by ordinary reasoning. Its outcome is unpredictable and its reality is undeniable. Be blown by the Spirit. He's saying to Nicodemus, look, you have done this Pharisee thing forever and it's getting you nowhere. Why don't you let me come into your life and the Spirit blow you into some new things? Look what it did to Paul when he left the Pharisee life and the wind of the Spirit moved him. He transformed the world through his missionary work. Look what it can do to you when the Spirit takes you out of that, out of that just cycle and spiral of your life and you say, I'm going to blow you into some new things and suddenly your life is doing things you never thought possible. That's what, the, that's what being born again does to a person. The wind of the Spirit motivates you with a new power. So much more than you ever thought possible. All through time, people have tried to harness the wind and they've done it. We went to Greece once and we saw these ancient windmills there that they used to grind wheat. You drive through the fields of of Eastern Oregon and Central Oregon, and you see the, the big windmills that they used to use to, to pump water out of the ground. We generate electricity with the wind. The power of wind is amazing. 
Great ships have sailed the ocean all through the power of wind. This continent was discovered through sailing ships, and sailing ships have traveled the world. The Holy Spirit becomes the power behind our lives. We know the scripture says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He is the power behind our life. But we come again to that key question, are you born again? Or are you a believer that just appreciates Jesus? You find Jesus interesting or, or so, so inspiring, but are you born again? There's believing, and then there's believing. Let's go back to that first verse back in John chapter 23. Jesus would not entrust self to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus didn't need somebody to vouch for you. He doesn't have to say, you know, I want you to know that Tony is a good guy. God's never going to say, we're going to need some character references for you to get into heaven. Because he knows every person. He knows every heart. He doesn't depend on the word of another person. I looked up John 2.25 in the Amplified Bible, and that phrase says it this way. He could read men's hearts. He can read our heart. So how can you be born again? Now we know what born again is, but how can you be born again? So Jesus jumps to another illustration. And again, it's not separate from the story. It's all part of the story. He says, if you're going to be born again, you have to recognize sin is a killer. Sin's a killer. Sin has got you in this place of death. Sin will keep you in this place of death. And he uses an example that Nicodemus would surely know. Look at verse 14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The snake in the desert. This story has, is, the, is the story of sin and its consequences. The people of Israel, were, after the Exodus, were wandering in the desert and they became rebellious. They sinned against God. And God sent deadly snakes to get their attention. Snakes were everywhere. These deadly snakes were biting people. They were swelling up and dying. It was rampant in the camp. Moses interceded with God and said, please, you know, Israel's calling out. They, 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 they want to repent. What can we do? And God says to Moses, I want you to get a pole. I want you to make a bronze snake. I want you to put that snake on the pole and put it up in the middle of the camp. Anybody who gets bit by the snake, they look at the snake, they're healed. And Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The term lifted up has a dual meaning. Literally, Moses lifted up that snake on that pole. And literally, Jesus was going to be lifted up on a cross, and everyone who looks to Christ at the cross is saved. And then figuratively, Lifted up means that he's going to draw people to himself. That not only is he on that cross and visible to us on the cross, but the cross has a strange and unpredicted outcome. It draws people to, to Christ. Most people would rep be repelled by the cross. Who would, who would think, you know, let's, let's, all, let's all think about and concentrate a, a, about a person who's writhing in pain and bleeding to death and suffocating to death and is suffering in such a horrible way. Let's all look at that for a while. That's repelling, not drawing. But 
Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I'm put on that cross, I'm going to capture people's hearts and attention. I'm going to bring people to myself. Moses lifted up Christ, and God lifted up his son on the cross. It was through that sacrifice that Jesus was glorified. The answer to the snake problem was not found in the Israelite people getting together and legislating a, a law against snakes. It wasn't found in training people to be really fast to escape snakes. It wasn't found in moving to another camp and changing your atmosphere. It was not in trying to find better, uh, better, better medical responses to snake bites. The answer to the snake problem was found in looking to the cross. It's the answer for our sin problem. The only hope we have is look to him. In January of 1850, in Colchester, England, there was a young man who had a habit of going to church on Sunday nights. But it snowed really bad. And the church he went to was quite a ways away, and there was no way that he could get there. He was just like 15 years old. There was no way that he could get to that service. And there was a little church just across the street from where he lived, or just a couple houses down. It was a little church. He never had gone there. It was a kind of a little mission church, and he kind of looked down on it. He didn't think it was really much. But he did want to go, and so he went to church that night at that little church. The snow was so bad, the pastor wasn't even there. And they had one of the elders who was going to share. And this elder felt ill-prepared, didn't really have much to say, but he had a scripture. He was reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22. And his text was this, Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. And this poor man, that was pretty much his message. He would read that, and then he'd say, let me read it again. He'd say, look unto me, all you, and be saved all to the ends of the earth. And he kept shouting the text over and over again, hoping that that would go somewhere. And sitting about three rows back was this young 15-year-old man, boy. And suddenly that elder stopped his preaching, and he looked at that young man, and he said, young man, I don't know why, but I just feel, looking into your face, that you are so unhappy that you are missing something in your life. He says, I want to encourage you to do something. Look unto Christ and be saved. The young man's name was Charles Spurgeon. He'd gone to church all his life. He was a good boy, a good man. But that night, he looked to Christ in that poorly constructed sermon in that little church that he didn't think much of, and he was saved. He became one of the world's greatest of all time preachers. He started Bible schools, great churches, wrote books. Today, people still read his books and are transformed. That day, he went from being interested in God to being transformed by God. God wants you today to respond to the love of God through Christ Jesus. Now we come to that verse everybody knows in John 3, the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now you know the context of the, context of the story. Who he was talking to. 
what belief means. It's a pretty stark comparison. He says, if you believe, you have life. If you don't, you're remaining in death. You're going to perish in your sin no matter how well-intentioned you are, no matter how much you've tried. You need life, and that life is simply given, not earned. Belief is something that you accept, not something you do. Nicodemus, would you believe in me? Now, I, I like to believe, and I think I'm probably right in this, that Nicodemus became a true believer. Because on the day that Jesus was crucified, we know that there was a couple of members of that Pharisee class who were not in agreement with the crowd and who came and took Jesus' body and they put it in a tomb where Jesus would take temporary residence and be born again. One of those men, Nicodemus. I don't know if he was transformed that night, but I believe that God transformed him and gave him eternal life. Jesus explains God's purpose in verse 17. He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save the world through him. In this discussion of life and death that you're having with Jesus, as you're sitting in the chair looking across to him, and he's got eyes that are just looking into your soul, he's telling you something. I do not want you to die. I want you to live. But he can't make that choice or force it upon anybody. And he's also talking to a man who thought he had belief. And today, I believe as we're sitting here, imagining yourself in this moment, Jesus is sitting across from you. He's asking you a question today. He says, are you a believer in the way that takes, it takes to have eternal life? Are you a believer that I can believe in? Are you a believer that has experienced new life? Or are you a believer that just is on the periphery? You like me. You like church. Your family loves Jesus, and so you're with them. Have you come to the point of being changed and transformed? Because it's not just a matter of, I believe in my head, but it's that transformation. A transformation of the wind of the Spirit in my life. A transformation of, I've looked to the cross, and He has forgiven me of my sins. A transformation that says I'm going in a new direction because of this belief. Jesus says in the next verse, whoever believes in him, he's speaking of himself, of course, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, who has not come to this place of being born again, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What kind of believer are you? Uh, couple election cycles back, one of the people who was nominated for president was being interviewed on one of the big networks. And the interviewer said to this candidate, the evangelical vote's real important out there. Everybody wants to get that vote. So here's a question for you, Mr. Candidate. Are you a Christian? That candidate thought for a moment and said, absolutely, but not one of those born-again ones. And I thought, oh, Jesus, he's not unusual. He's typical of so many people. I like Jesus. 
I, I think Jesus is amazing, but I'm not transformed by him. Would you bring your worship band up here? Millions know about Jesus, but you can know him today. Since you've come to believe in Jesus, in whatever level of belief you're at right now, let me ask you, has your life been transformed through that belief? Has the landscape of your life been changed because of the wind of the Spirit blowing over you? Has the direction of your life taken a new turn because the wind of the Spirit has taken you into a new place? Has the hopes and dreams of your future been transformed because His breath is in you? Have you crossed over from death to life? Has believing in Jesus changed your life? That's what being born again is. Now, as preachers, for years we've all, and I, I still am going to do it, ask people to bow their heads, say a prayer, repeat after us, and then we assure you, and for good reason, you've been saved. But I want you to know something. That prayer is not mystical or magical. There has to be these transform, transforming things that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about have to occur in our lives. And so today, as, as we're concluding this time together, I would just want to ask you, have you been transformed by Jesus? Has the Spirit crossed you over from death to life? So would you bow your heads for a moment? Perhaps you have followed Christ for quite a while. And you would definitely say, I'm a believer, but I don't know that I'm experiencing that full thing you've talked about, about being born again. That it's not about my efforts or being a good person. It's not about the family I grew up in or the church that I go to. The church that I go to believes in being born again or the, the family I'm, I'm in, they believe in it. We all believe in Christ, but how can this be my experience? It can be yours today. So with your heads bowed today and your eyes closed, I just was one, I'd like to ask how many people here today would say, I need life. I'm not asking if you ever prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. I'm just wondering, are you experiencing life? Do you have confidence that the one who can sit across from you and with his eyes see right into your heart, do you have confidence to know, I've been born again. And I'm experiencing Him. And my life has been changed by Him. And maybe you've had a taste of that, but there's just so much more that you want. More of the power of that wind of the Spirit. More of that transforming force. More of that living life. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, I'm going to just count to three. I'm just going to ask every person to say, I need life. I need life. I need it over, overflowing. I need it more than ever I've had it before. I need life. And when I count to three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to hold up your hand. And then after that, we're going to pray. Ready? One, two, 
Three, hold them up. I need life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hold them up until I've had a chance to look around. Thank you. 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 I'm not making up all those thank you. Those are all people I see. I need life. You can put them down. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Everybody's looking up. Everybody looking around. Everybody who just raised your hand, you need life. Stand up right where you're at. I need life. Yeah. I'm craving more and it's available. I want life. And I'm going to ask you to do, now that you've done that one bold thing, do a second bold thing. Come stand with me here. We're going to conclude together right here. Then we're going to turn it over to Pastor Brent. I need life. Come on, stand with me here. Praise God. Come on. Praise God. Now, I said I believe in repeating prayers, and we're going to do that. It's a good thing. Would you all get where I could at least, you know, come around the corner? Because so I, I want to be able to touch you, okay? I need life. And we're going to pray a prayer together. And then I'm going to ask the congregation, after we pray this prayer, they're going to stand right where they're at. And they're going to lift their hands toward us. And they're going to pray with us that the wind of the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you like you've never had before. Experience something that you just say, this has been the most amazing moment of my life because life is entering me in a new way. All right? So congregation, would you all, all of us, we're going to pray this prayer together. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus. I come before you today to receive life. I don't want to believe from a distance or in my head. I want you, Lord Jesus, to transform me, to make me be born of the Spirit, to give me the wind of your life, the power of your Spirit and a new life in you. I receive this by faith. My old has passed away. My new life is born today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, congregation, I want you to lift your hands toward these folks. I just want you to begin to intercede. I'm going to go down and quickly just pray for every person. In the name of Jesus, I speak life into the men and women of God today. In the name of Jesus, we speak the, the power of God, the life of the Spirit of God to come upon these folks now. Holy Spirit, enter us in a new way. I pray in the name of Jesus that the life of the Spirit would flow in this life. Now, Lord, that the rivers of living water would spring up in a way that was unknown in the past. I pray, Lord, the power of God to come upon the men and women here and that they would receive something that goes a new, a new way of life, a new power, a new perspective. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the life that is ours. The old has passed away. Everything becomes new. I receive it today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the people of God today who are walking into something new and fresh. And we praise you and thank you for this. We are now changed by the power of God. Let's praise him today, folks. Come on, let's worship him and praise him today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Today, I want you just to know this. We're going to return our seats in just a moment. We are new people in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's praise him one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Listen, you're going to return to your seats, but not to your old way of life. Okay? Because from this point forward, just look at it from this way. I am a new person in Christ. I'm not saying you weren't saved, but you, you're now just going to a whole new place. Whole new level in Him. Amen? God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. Let me say, if you responded to this message with that, and you have not yet been baptized in water, I've got a great opportunity for you. Because... At 11 o'clock service, following this service, we are meeting upstairs. Um, we've got a group that's going to be being baptized in two weeks, and they're going to give you all the information on what that means, what that's going to look like. And we don't want you to get away without this next opportunity of obedience and following Jesus. Now that we have been uh, born of the Spirit, that we now have a baptism that symbolizes that new life that we have taken, and it's a public declaration of the faith that we placed in Jesus. So, uh, Right now, um, when we dismiss in just a moment, I want you to find Hosanna. She's right here on the front row. She will uh, help you get connected and get up with that class that's going to be talking about water baptism at 11 o'clock. And join this group that's going to be baptized. It's going to be great, all right? Um, so right now, what we're going to do, church, together is we're going to do our connection cards. So if everyone can get out your, your phone, um, that's our favorite way to fill these out. Or you can grab the paper slips and the seat backs in front of you if you prefer to do the paper ones. And in just a minute, we'll receive our morning tithes and offerings. You can drop the paper one in the bucket when it comes by. But on that connection card, it is so important to us, two things. If this is your first time with us, we want to say, we're so glad you're here and we want to connect with you. So let us know on there, it's your first time. Because uh, we'll make a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One. that brings food, water, and an education to children in some developing parts of the world that don't have access to those things. So on your behalf, we'll make a donation. Also, um, we want to just answer any questions you might have so let us know but also if you said jesus today i want to receive that spirit mark that on your connection card because we want to be praying with you and we want to give you the tools for the next steps and what that life of the spirit looks like how we live out that life in the spirit so mark that on your connection cards for us we're going to take a moment to fill those out if there's something we can be praying with you about mark that on there we have a group of prayer warriors that lift these things up um, we've got a board of elders that pray every Wednesday together. At, uh, actually, it's now Tuesdays at 6 a.m. We pray over these things um, one by one. So let us know what we can be praying with you about. Mark that in your connection cards. Take just a moment to fill that out. And as you do, ushers, if you will prepare yourselves, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings as we go. Church, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Um, I will say, I am disappointed I missed last week. As we met our missionary that is going into the Arab world to bring the hope of Jesus. I don't know if she mentioned it on Sunday when she was here, when she was working in uh, another area of the Arab world. But the receptive rate of the people that heard the gospel was 6 out of 10 responded to the gospel and received it. Despite opposition, despite the, 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 the situations they would be going back into, they're so hungry for God. What an amazing thing. And right now as we give, we are giving to kingdom things, to the, the liberty for the captives, for freedom for those who have been um, held captive. And so right now we are, we are sowing into eternal things. So thank you for your faithfulness. Um, one thing we're going to do while we receive our morning tithes and offerings is we're going to watch a video of what happens. We just finished. We just wrapped up our Operation Christmas Child. Hopefully you brought your last shoe boxes in. They're due today. This is like homework. It's due today. There's no, there's no late homework accepted. So um, 
We're going to take a look at as we receive this morning tithes and offerings what's going on with our boxes as we ship them off, all right? So let's give with joyful hearts. Lord, we thank you so much that we uh, are participants in the kingdom, that what we place in your hands, we can trust you with it. And with what remains, we can trust you with that, that you will see us through. And so, Father, I pray right now as we give, that it would be multiplied many times over and that we would continue to see the kingdom of God advancing forward. Not just surviving, not just getting by, but moving forward. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a look at this video.
It's exciting to know that's where our boxes are going and what's happening. Isn't that great? To know that children are being discipled. It's not just a gift. It's not just a gift and a tract. But this is the gospel going forward with discipleship that this good news is going out. So thank you, New Life Church, for being a part of this. I am so excited about that we were, we were a part of this. And the things that we packed, the things that we sent out, are currently finding their way around the world to bring hope. We'll have a blessed week and have a very, very happy Thanksgiving, NLC. And we will see you next Sunday. Remember, 